0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm usually the co-host of this show, but today Bob Salzberg is out, so I'll be holding down the host position on my own. And uh, look forward to to welcoming Bob back next week. This is our autumn gardening show. So I'm very pleased to welcome today Helen May, uh, retired, and I always wink a little bit when I <laughs> say that, uh, from May's Greenhouse. Most of you are probably familiar with that on the far south side of Bloomington. And today we're also joined by Seth Enman from Bloomington Valley Nursery. And uh, Seth, this is your first time on the show, so welcome to you.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: And Helen, welcome back to you. Thank you. As uh, our regular listeners know, this is a busy show typically for us. We get lots and lots of callers. So I'm going to start out with the phone numbers and our email address. And I'm going to urge you not to wait to call in because sometimes we get a little backed up and we don't always get all of our calls and emails answered. So um, he who hesitates is lost. Phone early, phone often. And the number is 855-0811. Or our toll-free number is 877-285-9348. And as always, our email address is noon at indiana.edu. Well, Seth, let's, um, let's start out. I want to learn a little bit more about Bloomington Valley Nursery and, and what kind of things you specialize in there.
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm a new owner. We've had the business since February of last year. Um, we specialize in softscape with a little bit of hardscape.
0: you want to define those for us?
1: Oh uh, sure, softscape is usually a tree and shrub installation
0: okay
1: Hardscape would be uh, walls, patios, water gardens, things of that sort
0: okay and are are you from bloomington this area? Or I are
1: am born and raised
0: All right, so and you too Yes, yes, all right. Uh, well, homegrown, we might say. Oh, killing <laughs> me. Okay. <laughs> um, Seth, do you all, so you also, you do uh, the trees, the larger trees, trimming, that kind of thing?
1: Yes, maintenance, pruning, mulching, installation.
0: Okay. Um, is this a good time of year to, to uh, trim your trees?
1: Uh, it's a good year to trim some things, yes.
0: Yeah, what would mm-hmm. you recommend we, we, be, we trim at this time of year?
1: Anything that's done flowering can usually be pruned right now.
0: Okay, Helen. You want to add anything to that? Well, uh, my
2: expertise is not trees, though so I know a bit about them. But um, any time that you have a diseased limb or a dead or broken branch or something, uh, it should come out, regardless of the time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still have some ewes I haven't pruned this summer, so I'm
0: <laughs> so, going to have to do that. So dead or diseased, and mm-hmm. anything that's already bloomed is okay mm-hmm. to trim. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got our first caller. Let's go ahead. Fred, go right ahead.
3: Uh, so I'd like to find out about uh, I had, I sent off got some bulbs, and, uh, well, I don't know if I – I think I might have overwatered there at first, because I know they said keep them damp. And then I, after I realized what I was doing, <laughs> I uh, cut back on it. But uh, they, you got any good tips on the Kemenese and uh, where's the best place to send and get those
4: at?
2: Well, I don't know who to tell you to send to, but uh, when you first get them, they sh- their culture needs to be somewhat similar to African violets as far as temperature and amount of water and so forth is concerned. Uh, They normally come as a little uh, scaly-looking growth, an inch or two or three long. And you lay those down sideways and cover them uh, lightly, a half inch or so. And you want to keep them a little bit moist but not soggy. And they should be around, uh, well, this time of year, 65, 75 house temperature uh, would be fine to start them. When they begin to grow, you can step up the watering a little, but uh it's easy to overwater until they become a fairly robust plant. Oh,
5: uh, do they have them out at maize?
2: They don't normally carry those. However, they might be able to recommend a place to get them. Okay. Um I'm I'm I would hesitate to give you the name of any particular company because that's all right. Uh, I'm just not sure, but probably mail order would be your best bet. Though sometimes you do find them in the bulb sections of, uh, uh, you know, of greenhouses or uh, places like Lowe's or Mm -hmm, somewhere. mm -hmm. Uh, Though I'd be more apt to find those in the spring probably. Well, the thank fall. You very much.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Fred. Thanks for your call. We have a couple more callers backed up. I'll go ahead and give the numbers again in case you want to join in. Our numbers here are 855 Our toll-free number is 877 And our email address is noon at indiana.edu. And let's hear the question from Joan. Hi, Joan. Hi. Go right ahead. Um, yeah, I have a,
3: a planting area in the front of my house, and the the soil is pretty loosely packed, clay-dominant clay soil. Um, the problem I've been having is that I've, I had three bushes there. Each of them developed these. They almost look like cancerous growths on them, and a neighbor who knows much more about gardening than I do thought that it might be some kind of fungus. I want to clear the bushes out, and I'd like to have a fall garden, but I'm concerned about the soil is... Um, is that something I should be worried about, or can I go ahead and just assume that the plants themselves were diseased and that the soil is fine? Uh,
1: the plants probably have what's called a gall, and that can be pruned out. Um, but if you were going to remove the shrubs and you wanted to put in new plants, I would say it would be a good idea always to amend your soil with some bags of compost and peat moss.
3: Okay.
2: Yes, the, the uh, if the soil is uh, tends to run dry very quickly, yeah. Uh and the structure is clay, you'd do better to get a lot of organic material worked in. And certainly you have time yet to plant uh, perennials or even vegetable plants. Uh, some people put in a fall garden about this time of year. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: great. Do you have sun there, Joan? I'm sorry? Do you have sunshine there? Uh, yeah, I do. Great. Okay, so what are you going to do for the fall garden? You're going to put some mums in? Or well, what? Are you going I had
3: wanted to put in some, some mums, and I had also seen a few years ago I saw this very pretty flower that was called, I think it was called Lysianthus, that was supposed mm-hmm. to bloom uh, through the fall, and I was thinking about some of those as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, some foundation plantings with perennials in front would look really nice.
0: Okay. All right, well, great questions. We appreciate your calling in, Joan. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, bye bye. All right, and we've got another caller. Let's go to Della. Hi, Della. Well, go right ahead.
3: I'd like some advice about pruning wisteria. Hmm. How much and where and um, how do you get them to bloom?
1: Well, I can help you with the pruning. Um, almost as much as you want to prune, them, really. Those things really grow about 10 feet a year. Um, is it getting out of control?
0: Della, is your wisteria getting out of control? Uh, yes,
6: it's quite large.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I would prune back what you need to anything that may be hurting any structures or getting into other plants. And as far as fertilizing um, for, uh, to get it to bloom, I, I would use something with a superphosphate.
0: Helen, do you want to add to
2: that? Uh, yeah, you don't want to encourage it uh, with nitrogen, but something high in a phosphate uh, would, would help with the blooming. And if it's a big thing that's gotten totally out of control, you may want to cut it back just to a framework that is growing where and as you want it, and it will sprout again almost immediately. Um, You can get a leaflet on pruning wisterias down at May's greenhouse. But basically what you want to do is in the summer you kind of shorten everything up Mm -hmm. because they can make great long runners 15, 20 feet long. Uh, And then uh, late in the year or even in the winter, you will want to do a little additional pruning, but you should have a diagram or something to show you what. So uh, you could get that down at the greenhouse.
0: Thank you. So now is the nitrogen, that will increase blooms as opposed to just, or I mean, sorry, the nitrogen will increase, I said it exactly backwards, Mm -hmm. the nitrogen increases just basic growth, but the phosphate, that increases blooms. Correct. Yes, that's often what we recommend, say, for lilacs that are shy of blooming,
1: uh, Hydrangeas as well. I just yeah, to say, about also. Okay.
0: Uh-huh. All right. That's very good information. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call, Della. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Sure. And here's an email that has come in. Uh, it says, I have wild violets taking over the yard. What would work on them and not kill the grass?
1: Hmm. Uh, go ahead, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> you might know more about uh, it me. I, I found a lot of times it's best just to pull those out by hand, mm-hmm. but they can be pretty uh,
2: if, numerous. If it's a... a real problem that, you know, you got a lot of them that you think you need to use a chemical. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called. It has ester in its name, E-S-T-E-R, and they carry it at the greenhouse. Uh, it's the only thing I've ever found that will really take them out. Uh, even Roundup is not too good, and, of course, it would kill your grass. Right. Uh, I don't believe the ester will harm your grass. Um the thing with violets is that they make seed all summer, not just when they're blooming. But they have a little, make little seed pods down at their base where they're hidden, and so they just have seeds everywhere. And uh, if you don't have too many, I would say dig them out and be sure you get the crown of the plant out as you go. If you just have tons, why I would I would go with the uh, herbicide.
0: Oh, my gosh. So that little bulb thing, or, you know, kind of, yeah, I guess that's the Mm -hmm. best way to describe it. That's actually producing seeds? Yeah. If you dig one of those up, you'll find little green pods Mm -hmm. there. Well, now I'm going to have to look into this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. Wow, I'm learning a lot today. All right. Well, thanks for the email, and good luck with that. I'll give our phone numbers again, 855-0811, toll-free 877-285-9348, and our email is noon at indiana.edu, and this is our autumn gardening show, even though it's still technically summertime. We're we're starting to gear up for, for autumn. Um, I've got a question. I'm I'm fighting poison ivy still. I've done everything, but um, you know, napalm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, <laughs> and I'm considering that actually. Do you have any suggestions for me?
1: Um, a, a really strong herbicide, uh, maybe even mixed with a heavier dilution. And if you can stand it, uh, put on a good pair of gloves and long sleeves and, and pull as much as you I've can. I've
0: done that actually, yeah. But uh, so is there a specific brand name? I've even – I've done the um, Roundup and that – it laughs. It scoffs at Roundup.
1: Down at the garden center, you can get a brush and vine killer.
0: Brush and vine killer. Mm-hmm. OK, great. And I've used stump killer on it
2: sometimes mm-hmm. too. Um it's very persistent. Mm-hmm. The It has a, an underground root system if you have quite a lot of poison ivy that it's it's all interconnected, a lot of it. So if mm-hmm. you kill back one piece, there's a lot of energy there to push a, another top up, you know. So if you have a big patch,
0: try to treat a big patch all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you can put that directly on the leaves so you don't have to kill the surrounding vegetation?
1: Correct. Okay.
0: All
2: right. Yeah, I use a tank sprayer and just... Uh, squirt, squirt here and there uh, where the poison ivy is. You get a a little other stuff, but you get most of the ivy that
1: way. And and I would say it it is best to spray it. That way you kill as much underground as possible.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure my neighbors will appreciate that as opposed to the napalm. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's see. We are getting into fall. What kinds of things should we be doing right now in our gardens, in our yards, just... I'd be summer.
1: concentrating on weeding right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tidying up your pruning, maybe getting a little bit of debris out of your bed so it's easier to remove leaves in the fall.
7: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: If you're going to transplant any perennials, it should be done before the first of October in this climate. Irises really should have been done last month, so if they aren't haven't been done and you need to do it now, mm-hmm. however, Siberian iris you should wait until September. To reset.
0: Okay. All right. We have a couple of callers. Let's go to Lorianne first. Hi, Lorianne. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I, need to, I want to put in a fall garden. My
7: spring garden was totally, the weather and the flooding took care of it. I've never done a fall garden before. I don't have too many microclimates, but I have a lot of shade. Mm-hmm. What can I put in that you think might do well this fall if,
0: if the good Lord wills? All right, good question.
1: Um shade plants, uh hostas, hecaras are nice and they seem to kinda of rebloom. There's certain varieties of hosta that that'll bloom into the fall, um hecaras as well. Uh brunaria is always nice.
0: What about ferns? Can she do any ferns?
2: Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: it's early enough that they would establish. Yeah, mm-hmm. you are talking about flowers and not a vegetable garden, right?
7: Actually, no. I was asking about the vegetable garden, but I'll oh. take the flower advice too because my my yard itself is almost all shade, and I hate to get rid of my trees. So I do have I have some sunny ground, but like I said, the the weather this spring and and with the flooding, my spring garden is kaput.
2: All right. If you want to put a fall garden in uh, right now, you probably can find anything plants for anything in the cabbage family. That is uh, broccoli, uh, cabbage, uh, maybe cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Uh, you may be able to find some onion sets and some possibly some um, chives, maybe. Yeah, tithes, Then uh, those all require sun. It's too late for anything like tomatoes or corn or beans. What about lettuces? Lettuces, uh, you could sow or you could find uh, possibly plants at a greenhouse. Okay. Um, now can it it
7: is there is any chance in our area that you can get a good fall pea crop?
2: They probably should have been in the ground earlier than this Okay. to give you time. Um, it would do no harm to try. They're not the seeds not that expensive. Um, soak the seed before you plant it overnight. That will help to to get it up in a hurry. Um, choose one, a variety that has the shortest uh, uh, period to maturity
7: possible. Well, I had thought about calling one of the seed companies that caters to the upper northwest, and has the really short-growing season stuff. And I didn't know if our late summer would be too hot for those kind of uh, seedlings or not.
2: Yeah, well, one of the problems with a late summer garden here, anything you put in it, is there's a heavy insect population now,
7: Mm -hmm.
2: and uh, the days are pretty hot. However, you've probably noticed the nights are beginning to cool quite quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is good for a lot of these a lot of these crops. A lot of these fall crops will stand a light frost without being damaged. Uh, so the cooler it gets in the fall, the better they're going to do for a while. All right. uh, if insects uh, become too big a, a problem, um, you can cover with something like floating row cover mm-hmm. or you can, uh, of course, spray with whatever you prefer to use on vegetables we usually use some soap or some maybe some rotenone occasionally mm-hmm. at home um, as for the short season crops from that they would grow in the northwest I don't know um, but certainly you could check with uh, I know our greenhouse carries fall seed for for vegetables turnips beets you might still have time for
7: okay
2: um and greens, and it's a good time to plant some spinach. In fact, we generally winter spinach Mm -hmm. over with mulch and uh, have it again in the spring from a fall planting.
0: Well, thank you very much. It sounds like you're going to be busy. (laughs) I'd better be. (laughs) (laughs) I need something out of that garden this year. (laughs) Well, Well, good luck, Gloria. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, we have another caller who's been holding patiently, Alan. Hi, Alan. Hello. Go right ahead.
5: Two questions, please. Number one, what can I do for a golden, delicious apple tree which consistently picks up cedar rust? Mm -hmm. And please don't say get rid of the cedar trees because there are hundreds of them around in eastern Greene County, and I cannot eliminate the uh, cedar trees. And secondly, comment, please, about a rose bush, one out of six located in the same vicinity and receiving, essentially, the same treatment. But for two years in a row now, it has gone into summer. All of the leaves have turned yellow after a fairly spectacular first bloom, and then they drop off. I pruned the uh, bush back, and now it has uh, come out again, and the foliage is growing quite vigorously, and I have every reason to believe it's going to bloom again quite nicely in another probably uh three weeks
0: all right you've got our guests' heads nodding so i think they know what your problem is i think seth needs to talk
2: to you about the tree
1: Uh oh thank you Helen. um (laughs) on the apple tree i'm not as familiar with fruit trees as i'd like to be I, i know what i do with the rust at my house on my trees is i prune it out um Uh, There's probably some kind of spray that you could put on there. Unfortunately, I don't know what. um, But I would suggest pruning it out if it's not just overriding the tree completely. And it sounds like you're doing the right thing with the rose.
5: The tree is uh, entirely uh, covered with uh, cedar rust. So if I pruned it out, that would mean I cut it down.
2: He probably was talking about pruning the galls out of the local junipers. But if Mm -hmm. you've got hundreds of them, that may be a problem to uh, they show up in the junipers as, um, um, is it a gall? Yeah, and, and it turns orange and squishy, uh, in wet weather and makes mm-hmm. spores.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but the tree, you can start a spray schedule early in the spring if you want to spray. It will With take, what? Well, now there, I'm not real up to date on fruit trees. You'll need a good fungicide, um, I would recommend that you check with um, either uh, a greenhouse or a nursery that sells fruit trees. Um, I would hesitate. We used to use uh, some things that aren't usable anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The county agent's office, Mm -hmm. that's the Monroe County Area Extension Agent, can give you a uh, program for spraying for this disease. Uh, just call them up and tell them what your problem is, and they can tell you what to use and when to apply it. Uh, and as for the rose, it sounds like it just succumbs to black spot every summer when the weather gets hot and nasty, um, and uh, it may be a variety you'll want to. Are they all the same variety and just the one does this?
5: Or... Uh, there are six different varieties, all but right. I don't believe it is black spot because, first of all, I do uh, spray for... A fungicide, mm-hmm. as well as insecticide. And I'm, I'm familiar with black spot because I've had the problem in the past. Mm-hmm. But on this, the leaves just turn yellow, almost mm-hmm. as if it is being drowned in water and overwatered, but it's not.
2: Well, I don't know what might be causing that situation. However, if it's just the one and the others are doing well, I would say dig it out and get you a... Another variety. It
1: mm-hmm. uh, sounds like it may also usually yellowing of leaves is, is chlorosis, and it may have a mineral deficiency due to, to a heavy bloom, especially if it turns yellow after it blooms. No, you, no, you don't think so?
2: It's possible. Uh, certainly, when you uh, plant a rose, you should uh, should try to improve the soil as much as possible uh, at planting time. Uh, this one, you might dig down and discover that uh, there's something different about the soil there. There may be a layer of clay you're not aware of or uh, a bunch of limestone gravel or something that's causing it to not uh, pick up the nutrients it needs correctly.
1: Yeah, either way, I would, I would agree with Helen. Uh, Helen take, take it out and uh, maybe put it somewhere else and it might like it in a different spot in the yard.
5: All right. But the problem is, yeah, I was considering taking it out. But uh, none of you folks have another one similar to it that I can replace it with any longer. So I haven't been able, and I do like it. It's a candy-striped uh, rose, floribunda.
2: Well, uh, normally you, you get those uh, only in the spring. Right. And uh, if you want to move this one this fall so you'll have a spot open in the spring, wait until about, uh, what, almost November to move it. Uh, and uh, mound it up with soil like you or whatever you normally mound your roses with in the fall Uh, and uh, just prepare a spot for next spring for our new rose.
5: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thanks for your call, Alan. We appreciate it. All right. And some kind somebody around here has sent us some information about the um, ester. It's called Turflon ester, specialty herbicide. Um, and it says it's developed to stop the most stubborn weeds, um, including wild violet, uh, Ground ivy and and many others. So I think that might have been what you were referring to. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, You know, (laughs) I've been retired a few years and these things, these names slip away. (laughs) Well, that's great. Thank you for whoever sent us that information. We appreciate it. All right. Ray has been holding patiently, so let's get right to Ray. Go ahead, Ray. Thanks for calling.
4: Hello. Yes, I have a question on clematis. I thought it was uh, usually pretty hardy and disease free. But I have one. Uh, I've had it for quite a while, and it was just beautiful, and then it died back. And now uh, it blooms some this spring, but it has died back even more. And I wondered why. I I thought it uh, – it seems like somewhere I read that you shouldn't fertilize them. I'm not sure if that's right or not. but
2: uh, You shouldn't fertilize them with – strong chemical fertilizers and you shouldn't fertilize them with um, uh, slow-release chemical fertilizers. Uh, you could use uh, a liquid. Right, that's what uh, you use, like Miracle-Gro. Yes, right. or you could just uh, top dress with, with uh, some good compost every year. Right. Now, very often when a clematis dies back, if you will simply cut it off to the ground, right. it, it will come up again reasonably healthy. Uh, if this has happened to you two years in a row, is it the same tissue that's died back, or is it another part of the vine that hadn't died before?
4: No, it's basically, it was all over the trellis to begin with, and was just beautiful, and then it died back, and there was oh, I would say not even a fourth of what it was before in size, the plant. Mm -hmm. I do know that uh, they like to be cool and kind of moist, and Uh, the roots shaded I think I believe I've read.
2: Yes well there are a a couple of organisms that attack Clematis especially but all you can do is cut everything that's diseased off and get it away and burn it. Right. You might want to rake the mulch away and apply uh, some something like um, is it Daconil? That's a good fungicide that you can mix up. Daconil just to mix you up a watering can full and soak the the root area with oh, that, uh-huh. and then put some fresh, clean mulch, mulch back, right. uh, and see if it recovers next year.
4: Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Do you have a cure for voles or moles?
0: There is
2: no cure for moles,
0: <laughs> except cats. But I always offer people I loan I'll loan you my cats if you need them because they <laughs> took care of them in my yard. <laughs>
4: Ran a cat. That's
0: right. The, <laughs> the, the, the shelter's got plenty. So go on out there, give a cat a home, and get rid of your your bowls all at one fell swoop. All uh. right.
4: Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you for your call. Well, we're just about at break time. I want to give the numbers one more time before we go to break uh, so you can give us a call during the second half of the show. Our number here is 855-0811, 877-285-9348 if you're out of the immediate area. And our email address is noon at indiana.edu. You're listening to Noon Edition.
8: www.southdunnstreet.info If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential. The Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and movie, play, and opera reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at wfiu.org.
0: And welcome back to Noon Edition. You're listening to our autumn gardening show. We're joined this afternoon by Seth Inman with uh, – yes, Seth Inman from Bloomington Valley Nursery and Helen May from May's Greenhouse. And we're talking about all things green and growing or at least hopefully green and growing if we play our cards right here. Um, our, our phone numbers are eight five five zero eight one one and noon at edu if you'd like to contact us. And uh, we do have an email that came in uh, during the first half of the show. It, is, it begins, I was told that coffee grounds added to the soil is helpful to certain plants. Is that true and which ones can benefit? Uh, it's
1: acidic. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would put uh, straight coffee grounds on, maybe, maybe lightly. It's, it's highly acidic. It, it would be good for evergreens and, and uh, hydrangeas if you wanted them to, to turn pink. But
2: Yeah, things, things like azaleas and rhododendrons, mm-hmm. anything that requires acidic blueberries. Anything mm-hmm. that requires an acidic soil, our soil around here normally is what close to neutral or it's six, close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. so if you have a plant that really requires acidic conditions, sure you could, but over, don't overdo it. I assume you're talking about a household, a household <laughs> coffee pot, so you're probably fine there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you just if, sprinkle it on top of the soil or around the plant, just sprinkle it on, or work, work it into it in. the mulch work it in, or, in a little bit? Yeah. You know, And uh, it'd be all right to mix through your compost if there's not a great quantity of it. Mm -hmm. Eggshells are good in your compost too. Let them dry first and kind of pound them or kind of break them up with your hands. And why are they good? Well, lots of calcium. Oh,
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Very clever. You have all the tricks, don't you? All right. Well, let's uh, let's go on. uh, Let's talk a little bit since it's fall. A lot of people like to put in mums in the fall, Um, but. But sometimes they they think they're buying mums, but they're really buying asters. What are the difference? What's the difference between a mum and an aster, if any? And are there any different applications for mums versus asters? You
2: got anything to say, Seth, on that? Well,
1: they're you? really kind of similar, actually. I mean,
2: uh, in shape, yeah. uh, the you mm-hmm. know you get mm-hmm. a ball ball like. A mounded effect. The asters usually are open in the center and have very narrow colored petals. ray petals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The mums uh, can be either daisy like or petaled completely over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leaf difference is that the aster leaves tend to be a little uh, narrow and elongate, while the mum leaves will be uh, scalped on the edges. Mm-hmm. The asters are more apt to live over, I have planted in the fall. They need Mm -hmm. need good soil Mm -hmm. and uh, a reasonable amount of moisture. Mums will tolerate a drier condition than asters. Asters probably should be divided every if you get some going every two three years just to keep them good.
0: So it's worth giving it a shot. Putting them the ones that you buy, um, you know, just at the grocery or or you know all the places they're available everywhere it seems. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly the asters,
2: and sometimes you luck out with the mums. But uh,
1: this is a question (laughs) I've sometimes had: um, (laughs) when we treat these as a perennial, do Mm -hmm. we do we keep those pinched back until it's time for them to bloom in the in the fall?
2: Well, yes, if you have if you have asters or uh mums, you can you can pinch back uh early in the year to ke- keep them shorter and make them denser and also to delay the early straggly blooms so that they bloom more at the same time, you know, make mm-hmm. more of a display. I know mums, you can cut back as late as the 4th of July. That was my friend Karen's mom's rule. Yes. Keep them knit mm-hmm. back until the 4th mm-hmm. of July. Yes. And if you forget it and they're two feet tall, you can cut them back to a foot tall at the 4th of July and they'll still branch and bloom. Wow. But uh, the asters, if you cut them back too severely and too late, you may get kind of straggly bloom. So early in the season, pinch them a bit to thicken them up. But mm-hmm. uh, don't... Don't carry it too late. And uh, I know
1: when I buy uh, mums, when I put them in my house, I like mm-hmm. to uh, get them when they're not quite open yet. That way you can get the full enjoyment out of the blooms.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it's always nice to to buy almost any flower that you're buying that may not be long-term mm-hmm. early in its growth so that you get as much out of it as possible. Um, mums require good drainage lots of sun, they need to be mulched after it freezes. But our problem here is that sometimes it freezes and sometimes it thaws and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't freeze at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very often they just don't come through the winter mm-hmm. at first season for you. If you get one established that's, that's come through the winter for you, it generally will be fairly permanent in that place. However, you do need to, to dig it up and divide it every few years because they get too dense
0: and they uh, go downhill. You know. If you put them in a, a pot, can you bring them in and winter them over in the house? You probably could use an
2: unheated garage mm-hmm. or maybe even a crawl space. You need to watch them along come spring because when they start to grow, you got to get them out to some light.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Um but the main problem with mums is just the – in our climate, the alternating weather, uh, freezing, thawing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, they – if they settled in under a nice snow for the winter, they'd probably come through in great shape. OK. But we just don't have that kind of climate. OK. Anything to add, Seth?
1: Uh, no, I would agree with that. I don't know about bringing a mum in about a, as a houseplant though.
2: <sighs> no, I wouldn't – I don't think it would it, – it wouldn't do to bring it in as a house plant, mm-hmm.
0: okay. uh, because it needs a dormant period. And I know a lot of people have success with that with geraniums, and so I thought perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, months well, might be the I, same
2: deal. The few times I've tried watering them over in pots, I've just put them in my unheated garage, and usually they come through pretty well if I don't forget and let them go
0: bone dry. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. You need a little note on the refrigerator, I think, maybe for something like that. Okay, well, we've had several emails that have come in. um, And if you just tuned in, this is our Autumn Gardening Show. We're joined by Seth Inman from Bloomington Valley Nursery and Helen May from May's Greenhouse. And uh, let's go ahead. Here's one of the emails. Is it time to plant strawberries? Uh, Oh, no. And then a really bad pun. And speaking of asters, don't forget, there's got to be a morning aster. (laughs) All right. That was painful, whoever sent that in. Um, Time to plant strawberries? Yes? No? Not really. (laughs) Okay. What would you recommend?
1: Early spring for strawberries.
0: Yes.
2: Um, Anytime, second half of March on through April. Uh, be good for strawberries. My sister grows strawberries, and sometimes she will, from her established plants, she will bury pots and and you know they make runners, right? And she'll root little plants in those pots, and leave them in the ground and mulch them over, and then the next spring cut them loose and plant them. I'm or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not saying this right. Root them in the pots, and then come autumn she cuts them loose and plants them and then all Mm -hmm. strawberries could use a little mulch
0: through the winter yeah okay all right this next one begins Ms. Wonderful which I thought was directed toward me until I read further (laughs) and it's directed toward Helen of course Uh, what can I do to kill trumpet vine that keeps coming up where it's not wanted thank you and I love traveling from Kokomo to visit your nursery well Seth can probably
2: offer you as much advice as I can now Trumpet vine is one of those things that if you have a big one growing in your yard, it's going to pop up in a lot
0: of places.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: And let's just – just for folks who aren't sure, that's the one with the kind of bright orange usually mm-hmm. a, a flower that's rather about three inches long, maybe yeah, four. Forgot. Just – and okay. And, and, and the tubular. humming yeah. the hummingbirds really love them. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Hone's right. Um, best stuff really can take over. A mature one with a three- or four-inch caliper trunk, you can have runs 30 feet away and oh not even gosh. know it. Um, is that
0: a native species or is that an invasive?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it is a native. Um, the the best way to get rid of that is to cut it back nearly to the ground and, and drill a hole and put in some stump remover, which is wow. usually in granular form.
2: But that involves killing the central mm-hmm. plant. Mm-hmm. If you want to keep your central plant, all you the only thing you can do with the runners is— Cut them off and Mm -hmm. put a little weed killer on them. They won't kill the main plant, but it will maybe keep that one sprout from coming up again.
0: Another one that requires the heavy artillery it sounds Mm -hmm. like. Okay. Very good. Here's another email. Is there any recommended way to rid flower beds of weed grass? I pull it but never succeed in removing every root and it grows back. Mm.
1: Um. Yeah. Roundup. Um. I, I would say maybe uh, some preen or some some early spring pre-emergent.
0: What about a, a barrier? Uh, I wonder. I wonder if this is maybe grass that's creeping in from her yard. Uh,
1: it, yeah, and if so, you know, a good edge or some some landscape edging on the bed can help. And fabric is always a good idea if you're worried about pulling weeds.
0: Okay. Let's talk about edging a little bit. Um, I remember. You know, tri- traditionally there's the black. Um, plastic yeah. edging. Is that still uh, considered you know, the way to go or are there other options in edging? It's
1: pretty common. If you're going to put in edging, it's a, it's a lot more easy to deal with than say like the, the metal edging. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of times what I do and what I think looks the best is uh, spade edging the bed and removing that sod um, because the beds are always changing and plants kind of outgrow the bed sometimes. And if you put in a, a permanent edging, it's hard to move that that permanent edging if the, if the shrub starts to take over into the lawn. It's easier to reshape the bed.
0: So that's just a matter of, of you personal know, preference. Yeah, yeah. But as far as the the act of, of putting in the um, the border itself, just taking a spade and making kind of a trench is that that what we we're describing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that really does act as a barrier? Do you have to spray the it, trench or it, what do it you It works
1: do? pretty good if you if you can dig straight down with a spade, you know, into the edge and then, you know, at an angle from the bedside towards towards your straight down cut on the lawn side and uh leave some of that soil exposed. Mm-hmm. Um it, the the grass will have a harder time getting into your bed if you have like what you said, a trench.
2: Okay. Great. Yeah, I used to edge rose beds at at uh the first nursery I worked at. And uh I didn't have to do it over
0: two, three times a summer, maybe. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's go ahead. We've got another phone caller. Let's go to Nita. Hi, Nita. Summer, right. Um, Nita, you want to turn okay. down your radio? Well, let's
6: go ahead. We've got another phone caller. Let's go to Nita. Hi, Nita.
0: No, well, I guess we don't have Nita anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Hopefully, we have Jane. Jane, are you there? Hi, you guys. This is Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. How are you?
6: Good. I just wanted to add, add a little uh, piece of my experience with uh, chrysanthemums, and that is that often, since the fall chrysanthemums don't survive through the winter, I uh, often buy small seedling plants of chrysanthemums in the spring when they're available in the nursery or for mail-order catalogs and get them going in my garden. And by fall, they're great, huge, glorious plants. And... They almost always make it through the uh, following winter, so um, there's a kind of a two-pronged strategy for it. Now you can start with some plants this fall, and if they don't make it, it's not a huge loss because you can start in again next spring and have them for the following fall.
0: All right. Thanks, Jane. And for those of you who don't know who this is, this is Jane Clay on the phone, and mm-hmm. she's another gardening goddess, uh, <laughs> has one of the most beautiful yards I've ever seen. So wh- whatever she d- whatever she says, do. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Kathy. Thank you, Jane. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for calling. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of hydrangeas that have uh, – I've never seen bloom. I've been living in my house for almost three years and no blooms have formed. I believe they are a common hydrangea known as big leaf. Does she need the phosphate?
1: um, Well, that's always a good idea to encourage blooms. Um, The big leaf varieties, they bloom on new wood. Isn't that correct? I think
2: so. There are so many hydrangeas, uh, they're somewhat confusing. But uh, some bloom on new wood, in which case you have no problem. Mm-hmm. And some bloom on old wood, in which case if you get any freeze back in the winter, then you get no blooms.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. The hydrangeas <laughs> is such a, a hot topic. Um, uh-huh. Getting to bloom, it seems like everybody has problems with that. Me. Know, yeah, me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, boy, my best suggestion would, would be to uh, not put too much nitrogen on it and maybe a superphosphate phosphate. Um, If it is a big-leaf hydrangea, and I am correct about when to prune it, um, I I would wait until you see growth in the spring and then prune back any of the dead canes Okay, and, and hopefully it, it should bloom for you.
0: Yeah, that's what I do. I just I don't prune mm-hmm. or prune anything until fairly late spring, where I can see what's going to live and what mm-hmm. isn't, and take it from there. Not that I've had such great success. I don't listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, well, good luck. I've got the same problem, so let me know if you get that figured out. Um, I also have a climbing hydrangea that nothing, great foliage, no blooms. How old is it? Has it been there? It's established. It's I planted it probably six years ago, maybe seven. Well, give it some phosphate. <laughs> yeah. Phosphate for
2: everyone. All right. That's what I'll do. I'll give that And if shot. you're fertilizing it with a lot of nitrogen,
0: don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you told me to be mean to it, so I've been doing that. <laughs> well, let's go to Nita. She's back on the phone. Hi, Nita. Hi. Finally got in there. Yes, uh, I'm hon, sorry.
6: We miss you terribly, so come back.
0: Uh, okay? She's still here.
6: It's I- not the same thing without
2: you. <laughs> Well, thank you for
6: the compliment. Um, I I went to a party about a week ago. I think there were eight or ten people there. They live all over Bloomington, and everybody was talking about one thing, deer. Oh, yes. And the damage that they're doing, you labor, you plant these gorgeous plants, and the next morning when you wake up, the deer have eaten them down to the ground.
1: There are a lot of different deer products that you could try, um, which I would suggest. um, There's uh, liquid fence, uh, deer vic, even some insecticide granules uh, deer don't like. And there's even things so far as battery-operated shockers.
0: Oh, my. Battery-operated
6: shockers? Mm -hmm. How do you get close enough to shock
1: them? Um, It's got a little... (laughs) It's got a little uh, scent in it, and uh, the deer—you put it near a plant that the deer usually want to eat Ooh, on. Ooh, I
0: love it! And um, they, it's got a
1: little scent in there, and they—they they lick it, and it shocks them. And it, it is kind of funny. But It doesn't hurt the deer though.
0: Ooh, well, the deer! Okay. My God, great!
6: <laughs> yeah, well, my whole block—all of us are just, you know, up in arms. We we've got five deer living in our neighborhood you, in a vacant house.
1: Are you doing yard. anything to control the deer right now? Any products that you're using or anything like that? Uh, deer off. Deer off. How many years have you been using that same product? Two. I have found that sometimes uh, the deer will get used to a product.
0: Exactly.
1: And it it, it may be time for you to switch to a different product to to get rid of the deer.
0: Yeah. What about the soap trick? Have you tried the soap trick, Helen's soap trick? Well, soap, uh, rather
2: smelly soap, something with high perfume content. Uh You can buy bars and fasten them about deer nose height. in places not too conspicuous, but around the plants that uh, you want to protect. Mm -hmm. It's the smell that keeps them away. They don't like... uh, My sister uses perfume. Uh, She goes to yard sales and buys cheap perfume (laughs) and puts it on sponges and
7: around. that's
2: That's great. And one thing to remember when you're spraying is very often... If you just go around and spray the tips, you don't have to spray the whole plant very often. It's the soft, tender, growing tips that they generally okay. will go to okay. and the flower buds and that sort of thing.
6: Okay. Uh, I also want to ask you when you prune butterfly bush.
2: In the spring. Okay. Also
6: with hydrangeas, same thing, huh? Yeah,
2: I generally prune my butterfly bushes in March or April as soon as I see some signs of new foliage and cut them back about eight inches high, everything. Okay,
6: March and April. Okay. Okay, Helen, come back. (laughs) Okay?
2: Okay.
6: Thanks a lot.
0: Good luck with your dear, Nita. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we've got just a few more minutes left in the show. If you have a question or a comment, 855-0811 or noon at indiana.edu. Now, I've uh, made an observation, and I want to see if you two have observed the same thing. I haven't seen as many Japanese beetles this year and last year as I had in previous years. Is this a trend? Is this anything that you all have, have noticed, or am I just getting lucky for some reason? Um, they don't seem to be as intense, uh,
2: a huge numbers as they were originally. I suspect a couple of things. Probably the extremely dry summer we had last year cut down on the
1: larvae.
2: The larvae. Uh, uh, and, they emerge in the summer and the ground was hard as rock and if they didn't survive to emerge and lay eggs and if their eggs didn't get into the ground and start feeding, that would reduce the numbers. What did their but larvae look like? They're little The white, white things. White grubs, okay, white grubs. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But also I suspect there probably are some local predators that have developed a taste for them, though I don't see how they could. They mm-hmm. stink. Um, and that is probably uh causing them some problems. And,
1: and maybe all of these purple traps that everyone has seen may be helping <laughs> a little bit as well. <laughs>
2: well you never Those know. purple traps are for uh um
1: Is that for the ash borer?
2: Ash green ash borers, yeah. mm mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah, that'll be our next plague. Yeah, next year. Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: Kill all the ash trees. The ash borers, yeah. That's moving this way, isn't it? Mm -hmm.
4: That's a
2: shame.
0: All right, well, we have another couple callers. We'll try to get on the line before we run out of time today. Let's start out with Betty. Go ahead, Betty. Hello. I wondered if you have any suggestions
6: for Siberian irises that don't seem to bloom uh, very well. Hmm.
2: They may need dividing if they've been in several years. Ah, Okay. Um, September is the time to do it. Okay. It will take them a couple of years to really recover from the from being moved. But uh, they can get so old. I've got several clumps this way. and It would take a tractor and a backhoe, I think, <laughs> to move them. I don't know. But um, they sometimes will develop an opening in the center of the plant when they begin to get old. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the only other thing I think would keep them from blooming would be uh, – just way
0: too much shade.
6: Uh-huh. Okay. Well, thank you.
0: You're welcome. All right. bye Thanks for your call, Betty. And now to Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi there.
6: Go ahead I, with your question. I've got a question about a, a pond in my yard. I've got a pond and a waterfall that's um, <laughs> the delight of my life. And uh, I just was wondering, what is the function of algae in there? Because I keep fighting with the darn stuff and I don't know what to do with it.
1: Um, Well, it's a good question. A lot of people battle algae in their ponds. Uh, There's two different types of algae that usually you'll find. Uh, There's string algae, which usually attaches itself to rocks. And if you have a water garden in the waterfalls is is really where it's going to be a a bad problem uh, because typically fish inside your pond will will maintain the string algae for you for the most part. The other one, which is a little harder to battle, is the the free-floating algae. Um, Mm. That's where your water turns green. Mm -hmm. Um, completely. It doesn't attach itself. Just the water will be very dense green. Mm -hmm. Um, There are products that you can use that are safe and some that are not safe. Uh, Some of those products are String Algae Buster, which you can get down at Bloomington Valley Nursery. And for the free-floating algae, there are a couple products, one called Algae Fix, which on the label, I think it says it could be harmful to domestic animals and sometimes birds. So, you know, maybe not so much, but there is a, a new uh, a new product that I've been using that is uh, ecologically friendly, friendly called EcoFlock, and it, it uh, replicates a, a natural process in nature called flocculation, and where it combines suspended particles in the water, such as dirt or free-floating algae, and, and it really seems to do a good job.
6: Ah, well, but I, I, I seem to remember somebody being told that a certain amount of algae is desirable in a pond. That, that,
1: yeah, that is correct.
6: And so how do you know whether you've got the kind, the desirable kind
1: or the not desirable kind? Uh, Well, typically, free-floating algae is not desirable. Uh, String algae kind of is. If if you have a pond, you really want an ecosystem, and uh, algae is part of a natural ecosystem. Too much algae would be more than uh, a quarter or a third of the pond covered with algae. It, It would be a good idea. Like, if you could see... Mm, three quarters or two thirds of the pond surface not covered by the string algae. It's a pretty healthy pond. But you're correct. Uh, algae is part of a, a part of the pond ecosystem, and you are going to have some algae.
0: Okay. Okay. So Me- I go ahead. I just wanted to ask: Does your pond have a pump? Oh yeah. Okay. And now, do you have to be careful about any of these chemicals with the affecting the pump mechanism?
1: No, you shouldn't. No.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And a lot of times these pumps come with filters that help take care of a lot of the debris that the, the algae, algaecides break down.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Another reason people sometimes have algae is if they have overloaded the pond with nutrients. Uh, this, this could come from fish poo. Correct. If you've got too many fish in the pond for the size of the pond mm-hmm. or
0: excess feeding and the, the food rots in the pond and, mm-hmm. and so forth. All right. I'm sorry, but we have to cut it off at that point. Thank you, Mary Beth, for your call. We've come to the end of our autumn gardening show. It always goes so fast. I want to thank both of our guests, Seth Inman from Bloomington Valley Nursery, Helen May from May's Greenhouse. I want to thank Colin Bishop, who produced for us today, and Mike Pashkash, who is our sound engineer. Uh, Join us next week when Bob Salzberg will be back. Until then, I'm Mary Catherine Carmichael. Thanks for listening.